0: Welcome to all of you, especially to those of you here for the first time, and for those back from the ashram, from service, and all of you karma yogis, all the members of the Sangha who are contributing so much to keep the energy field here of peace, and of love, and of joy so vibrant, so alive, so creative. We come together to reawaken our original nature from a state of sleep, in some cases, very deep sleep. This is nature's trick. You know, mother nature, Jagadamba, as we call her in Sanskrit, has certain themes that she likes to repeat in different levels of the, uh, the different kingdoms of creatures. So, for example, she likes the theme of flight a lot. And so she'll create uh, insects that fly, and obviously birds that fly, but even rodents that fly, and you know mammals, all kinds of different, even fish that can fly a little bit. So this is a theme that she likes to repeat. Well, there's another theme that she likes to repeat, that she's repeated in humans. And this is seen first at its lowest level in a creature called the sea squirt. Have any of you ever heard of a sea squirt? It's, it's in the ascidian family. Uh, they're little creatures that live in the ocean, and they have uh, two different phases. In their adolescent phase, they have a tail, and they have a brain, and they, they can move around, and they navigate, and they're kind of living a nomadic life and they wander around and uh, choose where they're going to settle down and live their adulthood on this rock or this piece of coral or whatever. And then once they make their decision, they lock in, they wrap around it, and then they begin to morph into their adult phase. And uh, once they do that, you know, they've, uh, they've made their choice. They've got, bought their mortgage on the house, and they've got their spouse and kids and their community, their family. So the first thing they do is they eat their own brain. And it's a very, you know, clever thing that nature would do. Now they're never gonna have any second thoughts. You know, did I come to the right place? Did I marry the right partner? Did I you know so, you know, this is wonderful. <laughs> And then for the rest of their life, all they do is filter seawater, you know, and uh, sit back, watch the football game on TV, and, you know, you don't don't have to worry about things anymore, no more doubts. So, you know, human beings tend to follow this same pattern. Uh, But the problem is it doesn't work as well for the human being. Uh, Even those who have eaten their brain tend not to be very happy And uh, you can't just get away with filtering seawater as a human being. So uh, the people who come here have generally at least part of their brains that they haven't eaten yet. And they recognize that uh, maybe they should use it again and rethink their initial attitudes about what adulthood is about and what existence is about. Some people have the mistaken idea that spirituality is about eating your brain, and then you go into this bliss of not thinking about anything. But actually it's not true. It's really the opposite of that. On the spiritual path, you eat your ego. And your ego has eaten your brain, and when you eat your ego, you actually release your brain to be able to think again, and then the brain can be used as a medium for higher mind, for the Buddha mind. And then you can rethink your problems completely in a new way, outside of what your conditioning was and your indoctrination into the social order. And recognize that you want something more than you were taught was available for you. So we're here to disgorge our brains and uh, use them as mediums of the higher mind in order to awaken to the true nature of what we are, which is not the brain, and not the organism. And we are not sea squirts, although the ego does think of itself that way. And uh, once we have dissolved all of that, then the joy again returns, the love, the bliss, the peace of mind. But to attain that, there is a process of focus that has to happen that the ego doesn't like because it's hard work. The ego likes to just filter the water and not do very much. But to actually get to that point that is trans-egoic, you you can't get away with doing what the ego does, which is to multitask and to only use a part of its brain at any given time on on any given project, Uh, and to do it with a lot of breaks like we do karma yoga here. But instead of that, if you really want to achieve liberation, you have to focus all of your mind, all of it, on the one point of focus of meditation and do it without a break. And the point of focus of your awareness has to be your awareness itself. And so when awareness turns back and recognizes itself as awareness, instead of thinking of itself as the physical sea squirt, but as the pure consciousness, then it's what Ramana used to uh, refer to as the I-I. The awareness meets the awareness, and dissolves into a non-objective realization of the infinite nature, the non-localizable nature of consciousness that has nothing to do with any externalization or internalization. There is no duality of inner and outer any longer. No duality of subject and object. And none of the other dualities, they all fall away, good and bad, right and wrong, up and down, all of it. And there is just the space of pure awareness in its true nature as it is, not filtered through egoic narratives that produce pain and suffering, uh, or mania, or other kinds of delusions, but reality as it really is in itself. And not reality as an object separate from the self, but the self as the ultimate real. So that's what we're here to do, is to sit and realize the self that is unknown to the ego and unknowable because it is not an object. And so to know the unknowable self means to allow yourself to be without moving, without distraction, without shifting your attention from the self to any object or any thought, idea, image, emotion, anything that would take you away from the knower until the the very sense of being a knower dissolves in the knowing And there is only this energy that is awareness, but without any source and without any object. It is the ground of the field of being itself. And the reason that the ego mind has difficulty doing this is that it always wants to grasp onto certain attributes that it can objectify. And the awareness has no attributes. All the attributes have been projected into the world, which is a reflection of the self. But the self is attributeless, nirguna. Emptiness, in the Buddhist terminology. But emptiness only of objective correlates. Not empty of joy, bliss, love, peace, light. No, those are there, but not as attributes. It's luminosity of the awareness itself, not the light as some object coming at you or coming from you, but that which is. And to sit in this pure awareness dissolves all of the suffering, all of the problems, all of the narratives, all of the negative beliefs all of the conditioning, all of the repressed ideas and traumas that create symptoms of suffering in the conscious mind or in the body, all of it falls away. At first, this must be done with a lot of effort. This is the state called dhyana. You're making a lot of effort to keep the distractions from taking you away from the self. but At a certain moment of accumulation of the energy, the effort falls away as well. And it's just who you are. Just what is. And it becomes the effortless action that remains constant even after the formal meditation is over. This is simply the beingness that is eternal. So, Let's make some effort to become effortless. But recognizing that the one who's making the effort is already liberated. It is the effort to realize that you are the effortless presence. And as soon as that realization has clicked, because you've connected with it, the sense of one making effort dissolves in the presence. And that is grace, that's bliss, that is liberation. So let's liberate ourselves from the sense that we have to do anything to liberate ourselves, but by doing it.